Hi, my name is Larry Kwedevai, and at the best of times, I'm a writer. At other times, I just do a lot of thinking. I wonder about a lot of things, and one of the big ones is, why do pigeons like to walk a lot? I mean, they really do. I mean, they could fly, but they, but they choose to walk a lot. It's like a thing. I mean, you could be driving down the road, and, well, the pigeon walks off the road doesn't bother flying. Anyway, so I got a chance to do my favorite playtime thing. Well, one of my favorite playtime things, and that's a conversation. I like to know things I don't know. And one of those is what our ancestors thought of things. I like to, uh, I like to wonder, you see. Uh, like, I wonder what uh, some guy like me was doing sitting here. Well, I'm on the third floor, so maybe not quite here, here, but here. Like in 1756, what was he doing? Uh, now, thanks to the good folks at African Crossroads, I get endowed some of my curiosities. Not about that guy, but about how our ancestors uh, tackled climate action and how those uh, principles can be used today. Now, Dr. Ignatius Mabasa is one of my favorite people. Uh, his use of language to communicate, his depth of knowledge around culture, has me fangirling at the back. <laughs> But note, I said Dr. Ignatius Mabasa. That is because recently, he became the first person ever to write and defend his thesis in Chishona at Rhodes University. A proud moment for everybody, really. He's an award-winning storyteller, as you will see in the tone and use of language as he speaks. I talked to him in the first episode of the Green Ancestors podcast about how our ancestors used language, storytelling, and taboo to engage in localized climate action and justice. So, uh, Dr. Mabasa, it's uh, such a pleasure having you uh, in this discussion. My, my first thing is I've always had this, uh, this notion about uh, conversations and conversations I immersed in, in, in language and language creates reality. Um, what are your thoughts around that? Uh, thank you very much. Um, you know, w w when you talk about language and, uh, you know, thoughts and reality, you kind of, you know, bring a big debate, which I hope, you know, we, we will probably need a full day to, you know, talk about this. Because um, for me, you, you are basically talking about... Um, you know, you know the, the, the different levels at which uh, we conceptualize and we come to understand and make sense of the world. Now, this is something that if, if you look at carefully and closely, you may need to say, hey, you know, um, how do we do this best? Do we do it best in borrowed languages or in our own indigenous languages? And if we were to do it in our own indigenous languages, will the gatekeepers, you know, these are the people who tell you, okay, you know, what you are, you know, what you are saying makes sense or what you are saying doesn't make sense, or they have the resources and the facilities, you know, to make your conversations and your ideas, um, you know, go far uh, because they 
are in the right language, according to them. But the moment you use a different language to try and you know, express yourself, conceptualize, and you know, show that you are a thinker and you are thinking differently, I guess you, know, you are probably bringing in a lot of you know, issues, issues about decoloniality, um, you know, the, the need to decolonize the mind, uh, issues to do with, you know, the, the, you know we, we go back to even Marxism, you know, the ideas of the ruling elite being the ruling ideas. And in this case, not just the ruling elite in Zimbabwe, but we're talking about, you know, the, 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 the guys who, you know, the capitalists, the guys who own and control the means of production. So it, it, it becomes a much bigger much bigger topic, but um, I, I don't know whether I've answered you, but, you know, for me, it, it is something that just goes on to say, hey, look, um, I'm sure you know, Larry, I mainly write uh, and tell my stories in, in Shona, and I actually did uh, my PhD uh, in Shona uh, at Rhodes uh, University, and uh, actually, it was the first, you know, ever uh, PhD to be written in Shona, but how many years after independence? That should, you know, tell you something. But um, you know, <laughs> since this is a conversation, um, let me not, you know, go on and on. But um, yeah, I, that, that's what I can say for now. So looking at that context, it's, it's very important. Why? Because going forward, that is going to be a lot of. It creates a lot of grounding for the, the, the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Do, do you feel the detachment of the locals from their indigenous languages, as you alluded to a little bit earlier, was deliberate in making sure that they couldn't, they, could, they were easier to colonize? Um, I wouldn't say, you know, it's, <laughs> this is a very complicated subject matter. Um, it's... Um, you know, there, there are many layers, um, you know, you, you're talking of um, a number of layers in, 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 in when it comes to, to this matter. Um, when um, we were colonized by the British, the colonizers, or let me say the guys who were after the land, um, you know, the likes of Cecil John Rhodes and, you know, his other friends who were, you know, after, you know, getting, you know, the best land and, you know, making use of, you know, or mining and, and all that kind of stuff. They really didn't pay much attention uh, to the natives. They, well, the natives were there, but they were not there. Uh, they, all they could see was, you know, the land and the resources that they, you know, needed to exploit. Now, this is where you begin to realize because of that, the education of the native was left um, in the hands of the missionaries. Now, the missionaries really, of course, they wanted natives to be able to read and write, but primarily to be able to then read the Bible. Now, whether you know it was for you know education for you know reading the bible but um it, it is to me you know some form of empowerment because then it enables one to then start having access you know to other texts 
uh, and also in terms of understanding, um, you know, the world beyond your, you know, the 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 the, the local you know, area that you're used to. So in terms of exposure, it is, you know, a way to, you know, this is why probably you even look at, you know, the guys uh, like uh, Robert Mugabe, Ndabaningi uh, Stole, Abe Omuzorewa. You have a number of these guys, you know, trained, taught by missionaries. Herbert Chitepo, um, you know, another good example. So the education, um, was, of course, the missionaries were very much aware that they needed to translate the Bible into local languages, which, which they did. But then there is something that is uh, a, a, an added dimension, which then was that uh, the colonial administrators realized they needed labor and educated, you know, Africans were actually, um, you know, a good... Um, uh, or let me say, were, were, were best, you know, suited for that. And where could they get those? They could then, you know, they got those uh, educated Africans, you know, from the missionaries and, you know, started giving them jobs here and there. This is where you begin to realize that the African probably realized because the purposes, um, you know, of getting an education under the missionary and the purposes of getting an education under the uh, colonial administrator, you know, became a different uh, or had different objectives. Um, so the African who got employed um, because um, now there are jobs, because the, the Africans can now read, they can now write. And, you know, they start, you know, being employed here and there, you know, becoming journalists, becoming this and that. Now, they start realizing the need to speak in their own um, language, but there's nothing, you know, in their own languages. So naturally you find or you see, a, you know, Africans drifting towards, you know, acquiring as much knowledge um, a, as possible in English. And the more one could do that, the more they were ranked high in society, the more they became, you know, um, separate from, from the riffraff, from the rest of the guys who could, you know, just uh, read and write because they, they, they want to, you know, read Bibles and, you know, just uh, sing a few hymns here and there. So you begin to see that that process began, you know, to create a class system. Now, once you have a class system, you begin to see that it becomes a problem in that those who are closer to the whites as far as the language, the thinking, the dressing, the mannerisms or the way of, let me just say, practices, they are considered, you know, the better Africans. Suddenly, then you find a lot of Africans, you know, are you know, trying hard to run away from their languages. And this is where probably you find, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes, you know, heartbroken. I, I wish I could, you know, interview Dambuzo Marechera and ask him exactly what he meant. I know I've talked, uh, you know, with friends about, um, you know, what Dambuzo meant when he said I was trying to run away from the demon called Shona. 
so I, I, I then had to write in English. You know, just that level, whether it's a metaphor, you know, it speaks volumes in terms of the way Africans or natives, you know, begin to see their own languages. Um, you, you find because of this creation of this middle class, you know, which is, you know, well-groomed and, and what, you, you have all sorts of problems. And these are articulated by a number, you know, of, um, you know, writers uh, like Bernard Chizero. But ultimately what you see in this particular arrangement is that indigenous languages become languages that are associated with uh, backwardness, primitiveness. Um, is there such a word? <laughs> primitiveness. Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, being, be, being primitive, you know. So, yeah, it becomes a label and people are actually making an effort to run away, you know, from indigenous languages. Because this is the argument that I was making the other time, Larry. I was saying, if, if, if you want to see how, you know, we, we have come to hate uh, anything associated with ourselves, look at the, uh, analyze the, the word or the term chiboy or muboy or boy, And you see a lot of, you know, layers in that text, um, boy, because we, you know, it, it, boy is a term that was given to us uh, by the colon, uh, colonizers. Uh, and they were lazy to learn our names. And they said, Africans, or well, anyway, they, they all look the same. Um, so you can just call him boy. You know, boy, come here, boy, do this. So they actually were, you know, they gave us that. And we then ultimately came to also accept that term. But to us, we then started saying, um, boy, And the moment you mention chiboy, maboy, boy, to, to, to a Shona speaking person, I'm not quite sure I'll need to investigate in Debele, but to a Shona speaking person, you are talking about inferior, you know, it, it, it could be, you know, hukuyechi boy, vudzirechi boy, um, Chikafchechi boy, Muchatowechi boy, uh, and you, you even have other people naming their, you know, children, boy, uh, big boy or boy or whatever. So you, you begin to see who, you know, it is something that then has become ordinary uh, amongst ourselves. And, you know, this then takes me back to a, a Welsh scholar by the name Raymond Williams who defined culture as ordinary. So once you have made, you know, this worldview, this, um, yeah, let me call it worldview, normal, where you, your language does not uh, qualify to articulate and is, um, you know, associated with backwardness and all this inferiority and so forth, that language will certainly be sidelined even when it comes to meetings, such that any thoughts, it could be constructive, it could be, you know, 
uh, brilliant ideas that you know have been conceived or that have always existed in a language, uh, in a culture that speaks, you know, a, a, an African language or a native language, the ideas are not considered worthy because they are, you know, coming from an inferior, you know, backward. Um, and actually, it's a, let me just say, basically, <laughs> it, it's a colonial architecture. Uh, but it was, whether to, to say it was deliberate, I'm not quite sure. Uh, initially, when you look at the, the, the missionaries in terms of how they were, you know, trying to help Africans, because if you look at it, missionaries were more for social justice. And a lot of them were deported, actually, for trying to help the African to be treated as an equal with, you know, uh, white people. So, Larry, I talk too much. <laughs> so let me let me let me probably pause here and um, maybe I've gone off a tangent. No, 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 it's actually very related because then I was it's, it's what's the past they call it social linguistics, uh, where essentially the, as opposed to just linguistics, social linguistics would be what how people's language changed and how they communicated. Why this is important is in as far as communication is concerned is to ask how. Um, the, the, you know, like I, I look at when I was growing up, uh, my um, the government documents had the for the first name was a Christian name, uh, which sort of like gave the impression, or is believed by many, or is told by many that in uh, the nineteen the eighteen late eighteen hundreds, when colonization in Zimbabwe was taking place, um, you had to change your name from your traditional name um, to a Christian name um, when you were converted to, to, to um, from your traditional African religion. So uh, that's where my question sort of come in, like, uh, because when we, when we, when our ancestors pre-colonial times had to learn uh, a new language, they were not allowed to take their cultures with it uh, because there'll be no way in which the cultural um, representation or the the ideas could crystallize around their cultures using a foreign language. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, um, um, sort of. Um, I, I hope I'll be. If I, if I've misunderstood you, let me know also. So um, for me, I think if you ask me, Larry, the the, the way. Uh, Africans had to, you know, get Christian names or had to, you know, get English names because some of them, you know, are actually not Christian um, because you, you, you sometimes get very weird uh, names and you start asking yourself, you know, <laughs> I was going to give an example, you know, you get a guy, you know, like Welshman, um, you know, Welshman Nube, and you, know, you say, okay, uh, how 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 did he get you know such a name Welshman? But um, anyway, that's besides the point. The the thing is, um, my understanding is, you find uh, if I give you a new name, I have actually not colonized your land, but I've also colonized you uh, as an individual because. 
a name means so much and it has, you know, from a linguistic point of view, as you were explaining, now when you are looking at, you know, signification, you know, names will signify, names will symbolize, names will carry a Hello, can you hear me? Looks like we may have lost the connection. So this episode, to get it together, was quite a mission. So, so we were supposed to meet uh, on the Tuesday, I think it was, and then I got sick. I mean, how about that? Uh, I thought first of all it was a cold, but it turned out it was just um, hay fever. But then we were, we were able to do it uh, via Zoom. He's a university lecturer, you see, and they have exams at the moment. And there's this thing called invigilation. So um, the first part you heard was recorded in the evening, and then the internet went down, as the gremlins will do. And it seemed like a good position for it to go down, because we had just spoken about language, and now we were going into the meaty aspect of uh, the climate action and climate justice and territorialization of knowledge uh, for small little actions to make sure you preserve the environment. Break out something to drink, sit down, and prepare to be amazed by some of his knowledge. So, uh, okay. Dr. Bobasa, when we got interrupted, as you know, the, 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 the vagaries of doing things over the internet and so forth, sometimes things go wrong. Uh, you, you're talking about names, how they, they they've almost end up uh, dealing with a body politic. Yes. Uh, th- thank you, Larry. And, um, you know, yeah, the vagaries of, um, you know, uh, power cuts and ZESA and, 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 and technology. But anyway, coming back to the issue that we were discussing, um, yes, I, I, I was saying you, you, you also, I, I talked about levels or tiers, uh, or I don't know how you pronounce tires, tiers, um, you know, levels of, um, you know, colonization, uh, where you have the country itself, you know, the land, the land gets colonized, um, and then you have the people, um, you know, as individuals where you have personal bodies, you know, also being colonized. And this is something that you find even, you know, is, um, you know, being articulated in the song that I, that forms, you know, the uh, theory uh, for my thesis, Chem Tengure. It's basically talking about, you know, how the body uh, or an individual can become, you know, colonized without looking at the land, but uh, the individual, you know. So this is where you begin to see that you have people getting new names. It's a form of taming uh, and controlling um, you know, the, 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 the natives to actually, you know, give them a feeling whereby if you now have a new name that is not an indigenous name, 
Even if you don't know what that name means, you embrace the name because it associates you with the colonizer. It associates you with this new class of uh, people who are sophisticated. Remember, I'd talked about uh, Chiboy and, you know, Zunuzwe Chiboy. So basically, you are running away, you know, from native uh, ways of understanding uh, native identity such that you, by association, you start, you know, doing things, you know, the way they are done by the white people. So you realize the African loses so much in the process in terms of identity, in terms of, um, you know, their native wisdom. Because like I said earlier on, you find when we have names, uh, indigenous names, they are documents, they are archives, they are repositories of knowledge, they are a way of capturing history um, such that you find it, it's very rare, or it was very rare. These days, yeah, we just pluck names from Edu. But if you go back, um, you know, to, let me say, the, the early days before we got colonized, and even, yeah, much earlier in, in the days of uh, colonization, we, we, we still see natives having names that mean something to them. But then we get to a point where you start then seeing people, you know, getting names which don't mean anything to them, but they are just labels to um, make them uh, appear closer, um, you know, to the colonizer. So um, I think um, I, 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 may, I may be making an overkill here. Uh, so you, you then go back to issues of language. So if you, if you lose your names, your identities, it means you don't have your own stories to tell. You know, somebody's coming, because if your name has a story or if your name tells a story, or if your name is part of history, it's part of um, you know, your, your, your native wisdom. So if, if it's replaced and you are happy to accept uh, a new name, which is not, um, which is probably, let me just say, which is meaningless, you are actually accepting defeat. You are actually accepting, um, you know, getting a new identity, which you don't understand. This then means even in terms of your ideologies, of your values, your beliefs, uh, your customs, you are prepared to just say, well, look, you know, I'll throw everything away and you know, assume this new identity. But in the process of doing that, you lose so much and it becomes very difficult because it's more like you are being rewired. Um, this you know, just speaks to even you know, the situation then that we see uh, where you find the very first Shona and Ndebele novels, when were they written? 1956. This is 66 years after colonization. So what was happening all along 
um, you know, um, between 1890 and 1956, you find people are seeing English as the language that gives opportunities. And the situation remains so today. Um, if you want to be successful, then use the English language. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You reach more people. You, Of course, it's practical to use English because we are using English now. And uh, you know our conversation will reach more people. But in the process, there is something that's going to die, and this is, you know, cultural diversity. You, we we end up, you know, thinking and believing that English is the only language that is capable of communicating, of conceptualizing, of, um, yeah. Did I talk about communication? Yeah. So ultimately, we then end up struggling to, you know, discuss ideas and issues even at the grassroots level. Uh, as they say, Patricia, Chisi, Achirimus, Wacharimu, isn't it? So um, <laughs> you, are, <laughs> you are absolutely right. <laughs> so um, the 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 uh, what I want to now talk about is uh, the, the the main focus of the discussion today, and why I needed to lay the groundwork for this because a lot of our um, the history, a lot of our people don't even understand that our ancestors engaged in climate justice and climate action and we're very much involved and how it was communicated and why language is important in that and communication is that. Um, my first question in all of this is uh, is a broad question. How did, how did our ancestors, especially pre-colonial times, uh, engage in the sustainable, um, um, you know, development and also, you know, climate justice and climate action. Uh, but obviously we didn't use those terms, but obviously there was a practical side to it in the territorialization of the, the, the conversations. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Yeah, we didn't have, you know, such terms, sustainable development, um, you know, climate change or, you know, protecting the environment, but uh, you are, we, we had, a way uh, of coexisting um, in harmony with, with nature. Um, and this came, um, you know, about in so many ways, or let me say, the, we had an education system, but because we had an education system which did not have books and, and pens and, um, you know, other gadgets that, uh, you know, are associated with, uh, you know, education. The thing then is, you know, the colonizers and even our people came to the conclusion that we did not have any form of, um, you know, strategies uh, or we did not think okay about the environment. But that's a very big lie. If you want to understand something, the, the, the Shona person, uh, I'll probably use the, the Shona person because, well, um, it's, it's, it's where I come from and uh, so that I speak, you know, about something that I know. Uh, the Shona person, you can say, this is why you hear our people being called son of the soil. That is not an accident, Larry, son of the soil. Um, 
we the thing is we are one so we, just you just, know just for the texture uh is, is how we say it right yes wave. yes you're absolutely right son of the soil so basically what we are saying is you know you belong to the soil you belong to the earth you have a relationship with um you know the earth you fit into the landscape um and um you 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 are supposed actually to grow as naturally as the 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 wild uh you know flowers you belong you know just you know as the um baboons uh the the, the zebras uh and all these animals do you are not uh much as you are superior uh as a human being but you are a custodian you you have a relationship and this relationship is mainly highlighted through totems um so you find our totems exist to remind people of their relationship with nature you know in indinoera soko uh my totem uh the animal that stands for my totem is the baboon uh although you know some would say baboon slash monkey and i have a relationship with the baboon i yes i know the baboon has certain you know qualities which may upset me um when it comes to raid the fields and you know do all sorts of things but i should not harm the baboon i should respect the baboon i should also understand that if the baboon is you know part of creation as i am then we should coexist and we should find a way of living in harmony like i say so you find our people would would sort of extend the harmony by a, a, a more of a formal uh contract where you know some you know um have the elephant is their um, you know totem uh, or animal that represents their totem some you know have uh, the python anameta some have the mouse uh you know so you have so if if you were to list all the animals you actually begin to see that at the end of the day we are not um you know people who would just say well look we are supposed to go into the forest and just you know plunder and you know if we see a lion let's just shoot it and kill it if we see a leopard if we see a hyena let's just there was um an unwritten uh code because we didn't have writing but it was understood by everybody that in the forest you have animals you well basically let me just say flora and fauna where you are supposed to you know derive life from and share life with the trees with the grass with with the animals uh so you find then that if you look at uh, our totems um we each one of us if you are african you must have a totem and you have to respect um that animal 
otherwise if you don't or you you're not how, how do you respect it you're not supposed to kill that animal uh you are supposed to find ways of um, you know giving it the respect that i guess god gives uh you know to everything that he created so you begin to see that man becomes a custodian through totems so it's no longer a situation where we just say anything goes so these totems then naturally extend to you know our belief systems so you have taboos which were a form of social control um and a lot of these taboos will actually you know show you how much we cared for the environment you 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 find you have taboos where you are not supposed to you know there are specific animals that or tiny creatures that you're not supposed to kill um i remember you know we were told never kill a frog uh never kill there's a speci- there's a specific type of uh, grasshopper we call it mutsunya runya i don't know what is what is called in english um so you find there's a whole list of uh, you know small creatures which one is supposed to respect and the interesting aspect larry is then you we are talking about uh, proverbs idioms taboos folk tales uh, totems uh but you you look at our folk tales you find that the relationship between us and nature is actually played out in folk tales where you find animals are given human titles so in folk tales the lion is a sekuru sekuru shumba vakati um the 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 uh, gudo is also sekuru uh, and you find um you know the, the, this human type of relationship you know being also applied so you, you can have a story where uh, hare and baboon uh, decide to go to a village and they get you know respected makadiko sekuru gudo evatsuro makadi zvenyu and this is within the folk tale so that kind of relationship where you find you have folk tales where animals you know either interact and even intermarry um and live in the same village or you know same setup with human beings that speaks a lot to you know the relationship that we have um you know with the environment and it is the same type of um relationship that you find uh, when you look at taboos where you are not allowed uh or well, let me say you were not allowed to just go into the forest and cut down any tree um you know without a specific reason or use for that particular tree so and more so i'll tell you that all fruit trees were not supposed to be cut down all fruit trees were not allowed to be used for firewood so that is coming from the fact that all fruit trees 
besides sustaining you know the the lives of people they are also food to the birds food uh to the you know wild animals so you are not supposed to do anything uh you know that would harm or destroy or deforest and even if you go back to you know the traditional proverbs there's a proverb if if i remember the proverb i'll let you know uh where you look if you look at how chiefs were installed it was not for television to just say oh you know we have a new chief you know click your cameras but the chief had to take an oath and the chief took an oath holding uh in his hands uh a clod of earth so it was not com- a complete oath without the chief holding a clod of soil or earth in his hands that was to signify that the chief has been appointed to be a custodian of the soil of the environment and everything that thrives um well that 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 thrives or that exists uh, on the land so you find then that it's not an accident it's not it's something that speaks volumes in terms of the custodianship so the chief being a custodian of the soil would extend that to his subjects this is where you begin now to see sense in terms of uh, you know son of the soil if the chief is the custodian and guardian has been given the responsibility to look after the soil and everything that grows uh, in it that responsibility naturally transfers to the people that the chief is governing or is ruling or is leading and this is where then you begin to hear if somebody cuts a tree down the chief may summon that person you have done something that you're not supposed to have done uh, you must pay a fine you must you know pay uh, or do this in compensation or uh, retribution it's fascinating me when you talk about that because when i think about um the uh, what you call it the proverbs I, some of the ones that come to my mind so there's a use of the animal again it's the earth and the humanization yeah. of the of mbela um so the yes. humanization of of animals they were no longer they were not seen as some uh, removed uh entity from us as humans they they they're seen as the moment you see sekurukudo it's not just an animal yes. it's 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 you you are you are you are the earth you are the animals you are the you are the 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 the, the trees um i know we mentioned some of the some of the taboos in passing and i i think this why 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 the, the issue of language is important uh, i wanted to see if you could i wanted to ask if you could uh talk to me about some of the taboos nechishona uh, so that you know the the the, the 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 richness of it all is is is, is can be explained could you uh, when it came to to um 
to some social taboos, for example, uh, you know, the uh, how yeah, when, when you're dealing with the well, let's give that for example, when it, you know, in, in the use of water, uh, water for, for the community and things of that nature. So this is just, maybe you could share with us a couple of examples, pretty, uh, some of the social taboos that were used to, uh, to, to make sure that the, 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 the environment was protected. Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks, Larry. Um, when it comes to water sources, um, you know, they, they were either fountains uh, or uh, wells that did not belong to an individual, but belonged to the community and were supposed to be looked after by the community. And they knew that, you know, such uh, water bodies, it could be wells, uh, it could be fountains or even rivers could one day just dry up if not if they're not carefully looked after. So you begin then to hear taboos like how vumir we kuchera mvura nechinu kanakutinemu zio unematsito. So anything that has been used uh, you know on, on, on a fire and is sooty, um, you know, if you take it down to the river or to the well or to the fountain, actually it was, it was, it was taboo. You, you wouldn't take that uh, to, 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 the, to, the, to the river or to the fountain uh, or, or to a well to fetch water because then ultimately you would leave this clean source of water, you know, dirty and sooty, um, and the, 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 you know, the gradual effect would be probably then that even, you know, the small uh, creatures that, you know, also survive and thrive in these water bodies would be affected. So it was, a, you know, a huge no, 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 don't, just don't think about it. It's the same, uh, you were not allowed, uh, of course, you've heard the term, uh, it's, it's now being used um, these days, uh, you know, to, to describe somebody who is, who is um, you know, antisocial and, and, and you know, ruly, and so with, with unruly behavior. So you hear people say, Nundira Mutsime. Uh, this is someone who pees in a, you know, in a well or a fountain. But generally, peeing in a water body was also a taboo. And they would say, if you do that, um, you know, if you pee in a water body, you will not have children when it's time for you to, you know, maybe you, 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 are, you are now an adult. And um, but so you can mainly see that it was something that was, you know, addressing young people who are not yet married because they are probably those who would, you know, decide to be naughty and just do something to experiment and see. Um, you, you can actually see that um, attitude these days when you talk to most young people, you say, no, 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 you're not supposed to do this. They will ask you, Jeanne Basari. So it's, it's probably, you know, the younger people who want to dare and see what happens. But uh, those were not the only um, taboos uh, you, I, I mentioned the issue of not killing frogs. 
what was the reason behind, um, you know, people, you know, being told you should never kill a frog? The belief was if you kill a frog, then they, they would be a drought. So imagine then you kill a frog and then it doesn't rain. You start feeling guilty because you are like, hey, so I could be the one who caused that. Um, so it was basically, you know, it, it, these were taboos that were meant to just, you know, tell people to learn to coexist and respect, um, you know, nature um, and, um, you know, not just go about destroying, uh, you know, it could be animals, it could be, you know, grasslands or any other, you know, natural resource. Um, I, I, I could, um, you know, go on, um, and I'm trying to think of another taboo, uh, but anyway, maybe as, as, as we speak, I, I'll remember and, you know, share more with you. But yes, um, those, and the one concerning uh, the type of grasshopper that I told you, it's a vulnerable type of grasshopper because it doesn't really, you know, actively fly like, um, you know, those uh, big locusts. Uh, it mainly just, you know, hops, um, you know, and it's easy to catch. But generally, our people did not eat that type of grasshopper. So then even if you don't eat it, then why kill it? So the belief was if you kill that type of grasshopper, Mutsunya Runya, then your cows at home will have um, sores on their udders which means you won't be able to milk them. So there, there was always a consequence, um, you know, should you, uh, you know, break a taboo. And mainly these were taboos to do with, you know, the protection of the environment. It's interesting when you mention aspects of, um, of, of small actions, because there's that statement, so when you talk about young people, being the people who you have those conversations with, like it just looks like a small issue, one frog, uh, but it was that foresight to the future, isn't it? So, so that 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 uh, proverb, the the small fire will burn the will become a big, big fire later on. Um, yes, and it will just yeah, carry on. I was going to say, and then it destroys, you know, it starts as a small fire, but then it goes on to destroy forests, uh, you know, when it could have been contained as a small fire, it then destroys the whole environment and, um, you know, where a fire has not been contained, the results, you know, can be disastrous in terms of, you know, uh, not just, um, you know, small and weak and old animals that are that are not able to escape. So when we now look at the that aspect, I I, I hear in those um, pro, in a lot of uh, proverbs, um, a lot of storytelling. For example, So I'm just mm. thinking, uh, the, the 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 use of storytelling. Um, it, in, in, in the modern world would often think of it as fiction, like how fiction is often used 
for people to see themselves within, uh, well, not necessarily fiction, but storytelling. But often in this instance, in the modern world, it's in the form of fiction, is used for human beings to see themselves within certain circumstances and therefore make moral decisions based on that. How, how important was storytelling uh, in terms of um, getting people to do the right thing in uh, preserving the environment? And, and of course, uh, this is the particular territorialization of, uh, of uh, climate action. And of course, this because these proverbs are available to everybody, everybody else. You could say even the democratization of actions, as small as they were towards uh, um, maintaining the environment and making sure that climate action wasn't were and climate justice was an everyday thing. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. I, I just wanted to say before I forget, there is one um, you know element that I forgot to mention when we were talking about taboos, uh, whereby it was not um, allowed for one to go out hunting and kill an animal that has a young one, uh, you actually see, oh, here is um, maybe a a kudu, and it it has probably just given birth. um, And, oh, yeah, I I think it's it's good game. Um, So you just kill the mother, and you probably, the, the baby is just too tiny or too little to, to you know, to, to consume as, as meat. And you just let it go and you know ultimately it will die. So that's one other taboo. You were not, besides cutting down trees or fruit trees or trees that you had no use for, that, um, you know, taboo extended to animals where you would not just, you know, kill any animal uh, or kill an animal with a, a little one a, or kill a baby animal. Um, and, you know, uh, because that it was understood that, um, you know, you would be destroying the future. But um, let me go to the question that you asked about uh, Ngano. Uh, like I said, uh, we did not have, uh, you know, formal schools. So Ngano were our form of education. Um, this is, uh, you know, school without walls. Uh, so within Ngano, you find there is a deliberate um, or intentional effort to make sure certain values, certain beliefs and ideologies are passed on and are communicated clearly. And this is where then you find the storyteller playing a very important role uh, of you know, observing what is happening in the community. It could be that the storyteller observes that there's a problem uh, you know, to do with um, certain taboos uh, being broken, uh, certain uh, proverbs not being um, heeded. So the storyteller, this is also part of an argument that I've been saying, that it's a pity that we tend to see storytelling or as traditional and fixed and not responding to social change. That's not true. So our stories responded to social change. This is why you find even when 1890, our people saw 
uh, the, 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 the colonizers' wagons rolling in. They composed folk tales, folk songs to speak about that particular situation that they were seeing. So the storyteller uh, in communicating and educating the, um, the, the community, she would naturally be very observant, would pay attention to the happenings in the community. And you would notice then that when there was a problem which needed to be addressed, she would either go back to her knowledge uh, of old stories that she heard and would you know, retrieve a suitable story. Or if she didn't retrieve an old suitable story, she would create a story that would communicate certain values, certain beliefs, certain taboos, uh, you know, using uh, storytelling. And the beauty of storytelling in, you know, communicating certain values was, as you know, good is rewarded, evil is punished. So naturally, the people who were considered to be, um, you know, not, you know, taking care of the environment were naturally labeled outcasts or rebels. And traditionally, there is nothing that was, you know, terrible as, you know, being labeled uh, an outcast or a rebel. Uh, because people believed in um, a philosophy which we call Kugara Hunzwana. Munu munu nevanu. Ndiripo nekuti imi muripo. Tese tiripangwechete tinokunda tinoita zikuru. Ndopa munu nzwa charachimwe achitskwa nyeinda Rumerimwe arikombe churu. Tiri pangwe chete tinechiru wirangwe. We have the same vision. We, we, it is what binds us. That is more important than our individual, um, you know, uh, success or our individual uniqueness. So you may be very good at something, but if your behavior is actually antisocial, then people would, you know, tell you, you are not quite, you know, um, fit or suitable to be with us. Um, and in any case, if you as an individual misbehaved, uh, it was not the community that usually took care of that problem. It was your extended family. Because then they would say, you are bringing our name to shame. Um, so as a result, we want to deal with you so that you conform. Um, so there was a lot of coercion, or let me say, a lot of uh, ways of trying to control social behavior at a you know, domestic level, because you as a query right, you would know that you, if you do something, you are going to affect the, the, the whole query right, uh, you know, a group or, or, or yeah, let me say, uh, totemic, totemic group. So people would try as much as possible to make sure, hey, 
you know, your behavior is checked and you are not actually misbehaving. This is where you also get the philosophy. Rora naive matongo. Because if I'm going to marry from, you know, some strange uh, family from another, you know, village, uh, 50 miles, 100 miles, I don't know those people. I don't know how they relate with others. It can cause problems in the future. So the storyteller was there then to try as much as possible to speak to immediate problems that were in the community using storytelling and would try and correct those. And the thing is, if a story has been told, it's no longer a story that belongs to the storyteller, but it belongs to the community. And the community would find itself repeating and retelling that story probably for the next, you know, two, three years. So that ensured that the message of the folktale or the story would be heard, would eventually, you know, try and solve or arrest a problem that, you know, was uh, beginning to manifest in, in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, just from you listening to you there, I think of some uh, tumors uh, that I So great people do not raise themselves, for example. So instead of using human beings, just simply saying that great humans are raised by themselves, you, you use the animal like, yeah, you know what? I see, you know, zombie walking around and they are orderly. It's because it's you know there was an orderly system that that that, that helped it come along and and that created community, didn't it? Yes, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Larry. It's that orderly system uh, is what we are noticing um, has been affected because we now live more as uh, individuals and, you know, like I said, we, we are more for, you know, my car, my wife, my house, my children, my... But this is where, if you go back to the orderliness that you find in that system that we are talking about uh, traditionally, munu, like I said, but this is also where you get the philosophy that if you, Larry, you have a new baby born to your, you know, wife and you are happy, people come to you and they say, Makorokoto, you don't say, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's so good, you know, now we, 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 we have a son or we have a daughter. You actually say, Makorokoto ndedutese, what it means is this child does not belong to me, but belongs to us um, as, as a community. And this child, I'm also going to you know, send on an errand one day. So the child belongs to us. This is where you hear then our people say, oh, it takes a community to raise um, you know, a child. Yes, it is the responsibility of the community. And if you find this is why the orderly system is coming from shared proverbs, shared idioms, shared taboos, shared values in stories. This is also seen 
in the totems because you, Larry, you may be Nzo and I may be Sokom Kanya, but you notice my son may, may have married a Nzo. Uh, and naturally, we would take those relationships seriously. So suddenly, I become related to you because my son married Enzo. Um, so I, even if I see you, you are no longer just, you know, a stranger. So there is this interconnectedness, uh, which unfortunately, you know, becomes very difficult to sustain uh, in, you know, in our modern, you know, uh, you know, lives where we are, you know, living more, you know, for, for, for ourselves, for, you know, you know, having meals so that we can, um, you know, take pictures and post on Instagram and, and Facebook, uh, because ultimately we are valuing strangers uh, that we even don't know uh, at the expense of our immediate environment, immediate community. Uh, it, it reminds me of um, almost like because uh, a lot of the times we're engaging in self-inflicted anguish by, you know, uh, you know, trying to do things individually. But, uh, you know, there's that one, there's one, I think I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. Uh, so the, that the community is what brings everybody together. Now, getting back to, to issues of, of, of language, because when I hear the richness and the depth in Chishona, when you're talking about everyday actions, I, I also then want to go back to how then after colonization happens, how a lot of these small actions, first of all, are lost in a way. That's number one. And number two, uh, in, in some instances, those small actions are still practiced in some, um, some customs uh, within our country. Um, how these small actions, because of the storytelling they took, continue to help the environment in spite of people not, not knowing specifically that their action was a climate uh, justice action or like, like you just quite rightly talked about it and asked for climate justice, don't kill, don't, don't pee in the river. And so it meant water bodies are for everybody. Um, you know, don't, um, don't put, don't clean dirty things in the river because that, that de-democratizes de the space where everybody works. Um, my, my, my question is, how, how much was the removal of the language? Could it have had on the fact that, even, for example, in urban areas, that selfish attitude started taking over? Um, thank you, Larry. You, what you know, and I guess this is probably, uh, you know, what linguists, um, you know, will, will also tell you. Uh, language is not just language, uh, you know, uh, on its own as a tool or, you know, thing that we use to communicate. But language carries values, it carries ideologies, it is more than just, you know, a communication um, 
you know, um, a, a tool. Uh, language becomes a way of structuring and ordering our thoughts, but also it speaks deep down, you know, into who we are and, you know, how we perceive the world. So now when you have two, let me, not, not just two languages, when you have um, the media, uh, you know, mainly communicating uh, with people uh, in foreign languages and those very same people also prioritizing, uh, you know, foreign languages, uh, naturally a lot that was in the indigenous languages in terms of values, in terms of beliefs and in terms of wisdom, it becomes, you know, lost. Uh, because then you are talking of, you know, understanding that it is language that is a career of, uh, you know, uh, values of beliefs. So if, for example, if I were to go back to the issue of uh, the soil. So if you understand the term Mwanawevu, and if you understand the term that um, Ivu, um, oh, let me put it this way. Um, let me say Mwanawevu, Munu, Ano Zivakuti Muvu, Ndimo mune upenyo, e, kubwa kumiti, kuhuskwa kuhua, kumuka, e, kuti, you know, munu, anzi munu, it is because of that, uh, you know, relationship uh, between him and nature. But if you have been removed and there is, um, you know, what I may call, you know, a social transformation, uh, or a structural transformation in terms of um, your, 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 your physical location, you find then that you abandon the knowledge, the language that used to help you thrive and exist when you were in a particular uh, context. And now you have to learn to adapt um, and exist in this new environment but then in the process, you are actually losing a lot of wisdom that has been tried and tested over the years. So you become mwana wevu, munjimbo isina ivu. And that is something that begins now to really, you know, boggle the mind. How do you continue being a child of the soil or a son of the soil in a place is in a evil. And, you know, we, we, we can even, you know, go back. Um, you know, there's a story that I used to tell many years ago. I don't know whether I remember the details. You have um, an anthropologist visiting a village and he gets to the village and he asks for the chief. He's shown, um, you know, the chief's house. So he goes and he's talking to the chief. 
He says, can I have an interview with you? I'm an anthropologist. Um, you know, I study cultures and I just want to know this and that and that. So they have a very long conversation. When the conversation is over uh, and the anthropologist has been writing a lot of notes and, you know, a recording, he thanks the chief and he says, you know, thank you so much for, you know, uh, granting me the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, I may come back again for more information, but um, I really appreciate what you've done. So I have a small present for you. And he takes a small radio and gives it to the chief. The chief looks at the radio. He's puzzled because he has never seen anything like that. And he says, what is this? And the anthropologist says, it's a radio. And the chief says, a radio? What does it do? Ah, the anthropologist is pleased to ex, you know, explain what a radio does. He says, oh, this radio, uh, it uh, tells you stories um, from you know, different places in the world. Uh, it tells you about the weather. It sings a lot of interesting songs. And, you know, it just gives you a view of the world. And the chief said, I see. And he said, I cannot take your radio. You can keep your radio because I have so many stories that I have not, you know, listened to among my people. I have so many songs that my people sing that I need to understand and those songs are part of me. I have so many proverbs and so many stories that, you know, if I am to accept your radio, it will silence all these stories that are around me and I will fail to see and understand my people. So with those words, the chief refused the gift uh, of the radio. This is actually, uh, if you ask me, a strong statement in terms of, you know, somebody who is wise enough to see the risk of the removal of language, of uh, ideologies, of values, uh, you know, of understanding and coming up with local solutions to local problems. Because once I start depending uh, on foreign uh, ideas and foreign solutions, I stop thinking, I stop looking for solutions because I'm going to say, well, you know, the guys who have been talking about this uh, will, will give me solutions. There's a difference, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, comparing uh, information, sharing ideas and exchanging information uh, and, uh, you know, just getting ideas from a foreign source and making use of those ideas. Certainly, there's going to be a mismatch and there's going to be a problem and there's going to be a huge death and a huge funeral of, you know, local thought, local languages, local values. So they kind of gives that people will listen to advice that deals with their individual uh, needs within the settings they understand, isn't it? 
Absolutely, because uh, you find you may deal with... Um, uh, that's a very powerful uh, proverb, Larry, Chirimumu Sakasaka. You know, let me explain it to you, then I'll come back. You know, Chirimumu Sakasaka, Musakasaka, it's, this, this is a drizzle. You know, when, when rain is, 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 when it's drizzling, it is the one who is standing or being, or who is exposed to the drizzle, who actually feels the drizzle not the one who is not in the drizzle or who is not exposed to the drizzle. So there are needs that are very specific. Larry, global needs are not local needs. And if we understand that, we will be in a position to then use our, um, use probably the method that we use when you go into a hotel where you tend to then look at a menu and you are picking, you know, probably things that speak to you and you are like, okay, I will probably have that and have that. And you, we cannot just have, you know, a wholesale um, acceptance uh, of all, you know, ideas that are foreign uh, because the most, you know, uh, sad part is that what we don't realize is, yes, we may borrow ideas, but ideas come with languages. The process of accepting foreign ideas means we are also playing a part or we are becoming accomplices to the murder of our very own thought systems, our very own languages. But if you look at it, God himself values and respects languages. God himself gave languages as a gift. I now have always said, you know, if you look, if you read in the book of Acts in the Bible, the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, they were heard not speaking in English, but in different languages. And even people from Africa said, hey, I hear they are also speaking my language. And this was the spirit of God speaking and giving people different languages. So why should we then say, you know, one language or one way of thinking or certain, you know, methodologies uh, are more important? This is where now Bob Marley says, until the philosophy which holds one race superior and any other inferior is finally and permanently abandoned, everywhere it's war so well, I, I i'm fascinated by this because what it often what is, is is going back to because there was a huge push towards globalization for good or for worse and there have been things like somebody say okay globalization resulted in for example the internet but uh in a way i've always talked about how the internet has not been localized because uh you know, even extracting value from, from it for a lot of uh, people, in, especially in Africa, it feels like a foreign thing, even the way it's talked about, you know, it feels like a foreign thing in spite of the fact that maybe it could create value. Uh, the question I would ask uh, as we draw close to the, our conclusion would be, then how do we... Um, now in the circumstances we find ourselves in, 
because they uh, take extract the value of of language uh, and the and extract those the, the, those many lessons that our uh, ancestors had. Sometimes in principle, like you said, the, a lot of the storytelling was responsive as opposed to. Uh, and sometimes uh, proactive as opposed to just being storytelling just for pure entertainment. As much as the entertainment, I remember sitting around the fire when I was a young person. Uh, stories. Uh, my favorite one being one where uh, Tsuro would be, no, the, no, it was the hare and the tortoise, the, the one that I'm talking about. Could he, uh, mm. where the tutor would be like ah and the, the, the tortoise is slow it's like, ah, i can i can take a nap <laughs> i don't have to do it now mm-hmm. and then uh, yeah and then by the time it wakes up the race is done so that gave the lesson <laughs> yeah. pretty, i never you, you as a child you're not really thinking about you being entertainment tend to take you like but sort of wake up why why are you taking long but the lesson you get <laughs> over time is do it now you know what i mean uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So my, my question is, how do we, how is, how important for the localization of, uh, of, and the territorialization and also democratization of climate action issues is storytelling that is pertinent to the territories or to the people that we're communicating with? Why is that important? Um, Larry, it is important if it is, um, you know, part of our culture. But uh, as you probably have heard people tell you, culture is dynamic. Uh, We now have a different culture, but unfortunately we are embracing new cultures which we don't understand, which actually make us leave behind um, you know, our indigenous wisdom and knowledge such that we end up, you know, I'm sure you have traveled a lot. Um, there's no terrible thing like getting, you know, um, to your destination and you discover you have lost your luggage and, um, you know, you, 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 are, you, you know your bags contain everything that you needed in terms of your, 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 your you know, your, it could be your clothing, um, your, your, the type of uh, lotion and all this and all that, and a lot of other personal belongings. So you, you get to the other side and you realize, oh, you know, this is, this is what has happened. Um, I, I think we, 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 this should probably be looked at in the whole context of, um, you know, coloniality and decoloniality. Um, you know, if we are to extract the value, um, there must be a, I think, a, 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 I talked about the colonial architecture, um, which has, you know, led us to where we are now. But equally, if colonialism had a type of architecture, I think we also need to have our own uh, architecture which ensures that we are, you know, addressing um, all these problems. Um, but in a realistic way, uh, you, you talked about uh, globalization. The Japanese have embraced globalization, but they have created a term they call dochakuka, localization. So you take the global 
and you localize it. Um, equally, we should probably be doing the same, uh, you know, in order to ensure that we don't get to our destination with lost luggage without a language. Because right now I'm invited, you know, on, 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 on so many occasions, um, you know, to go to schools. And the sad part is you find, yes, we now have uh, kids who are eloquent um, in English uh, and they have, you know, Shona names which they can't pronounce. Um, and we, 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 we think, you know, we are creating those kids uh, for the global um, for the global world. But the honest truth is that it is in the diversity, you know, or it is in the uniqueness uh, that we have as a people. We have a language, we have a culture, which is actually going to make us uh, stand out. Look at Chimamanda, um, for example, you know, the, the platforms that she is, you know, being invited to go and speak and just give people a different view. Um, you know, this is now giving, you know, Europeans, giving, you know, um, the Western world, the other view, which is, you know, not what they are used to. So if we can actually invest in, you know, developing this architecture, my biggest worry is that we are good at talking, Larry, but we don't do. We are good at, you know, having, you know, lots of government ministries where people love to just talk. But, you know, we are hemorrhaging, I, if I may use that term. We are culturally, we are hemorrhaging. The, you know, I, I believe, you know, right now, you know, issues to do with, um, you know, language, with uh, culture, uh, you know, and the arts, they are scattered in more than four or five ministries. And if you ask each of those ministries, maybe the Minister of Culture, what is your strategy? What is your plan, you know, for, for culture? There is really nothing. What are we, you know, saying we have in terms of, you know, having cultural products? What cultural products do we have? You know, we, 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 we only get to, you know, realize how much we've lost, I guess when it's too late, but the solution is let us start having these conversations that we are having now. Uh, let us, you know, find ways of being practical, of actually producing content, content that is relevant, content that speaks. Um, we may not necessarily, you know, continue, you know, doing Ngano, Tsumo, and all these other, you know, um, traditional ways of communicating, um, you know, the way they've always been done. But we certainly need to go back to, you know, all these um, resources and find ways of making them speak, um, you know, to, to our people again. I... I I'm, I may not agree with some of the, you know, videos and some of the content that uh, we have in, um, you know, Zim Dancehall, but in terms of actually language, 
uh, awareness, language, uh, promotion. Um, you know, I, I guess that's the way things should be. We should do the same with, you know, storytelling. Uh, I've, I've done this, you know, if, if you go on YouTube and you look at um, or search for Ignatius Mabasa, I've done, you know, modern Ngano. Chipone Chipopai, for example, um, I, you know, the, the, the kind of stories that you'd associate with, you know, our traditions and culture, but giving them a new life so that they respond to social change, they speak in a language um, that is not, you know, archaic, but at the same time, a language that is accessible, that people identify with and can actually say, hey, this is our language. It's not a foreign language. When I, when you speak there, I thought of a couple of uh, um, you know uh, proverbs that are hitting me. Like uh, if we do not take action right now, we're going to be embarrassed a little bit later. And so, but the, the 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 one that I used to take up the challenge. So I so as long as the desire oh, yeah. is there, we'll have the strength to do it, isn't it? Absolutely. And also, I would like you to extend that proverb. What is it that we um, use to identify an elephant? Um, here you are talking of Nzowa. And will it still stand, you know, and be proud to say, we certainly need to think, you know, that um, some of these transformations and the losses that we are actually, um, you know, experiencing requires to actually, you know, wake up uh, to have the consciousness to say, hey, look, you know, this is me, this is my identity. And as you say, it should not be a burden to me, but actually it should be a joy, you know, when I can actually you know, converse and tell stories and, you know, just, you know, come up with creations that speak and show the beauty and the power of, you know, native, um, you know, uh, wisdom. Uh, I, I have to say that, like, you know, a, I don't know where the, I, I think my, 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 my high school Shana is coming back to me now. <laughs> 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 So exactly borrowed culture, you don't use it with as much freedom as your as your own culture. You are, you know, Larry, I, I really like the way you are, you know, thinking. Yeah. Do you know I've said it on so many occasions? No nation, no race uh, can beat. Zimbabweans, um, you know, at being Zimbabwean. We are the people who, if you want us to speak Shona, Debele, Kalanga, or any, we will speak it. And if you want us to play Mbira, we'll play Mbira. You know, we, 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 this is, this is who we are. So even if we decide to borrow identities, we are not actually being true to ourselves. We will get to a point where somebody will ultimately tell us, no, I don't think you, 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 you sound like, you, you, you are trying to sound uh, like a New Yorker, but no, 
you are not. Something tells me you are not uh, because there's something that, you know, people from New York will tell you, I'm from New York because I'm from New York. And, you know, there are certain things that, you know, make them who they are. And there are certain things that also in turn make us who we are. And those, you know, any American or any, you know, British person or any other nationality will just say, well, you know what? I can't do this because it is in their DNA. It is who they are. So exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, this is such a fascinating topic. It's a topic I think we can spend the whole day talking about um, because uh, it, it, it's it's such a, I think it's one of those things where sometimes we, we, we have become critical of um uh, of our own people, because sometimes we are like our, our own people do not understand or do not see often see the urgency of climate action because they don't really talk about it. But to a large extent, I think there's certain things in my culture. You know, when I was young, in, in tradition, some of those traditions that you mentioned, I didn't know why we're not allowed to, that that there was a lot of. I know about Kusaoraya, a frog, like don't, don't kill a frog. And, and you, because it, it would result in a drought. And for me, my whole life, I've always, um, I've always found life such as animals sacred. Um, and the idea that within Pachivan, if you go fishing, you only fish when you want to eat. Uh, when you go hunting, you only hunt what you want to eat. Uh, you don't hunt for sport uh, because life is sacred. The, 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 even if you look at the traditions when when um, when Pachvan when an animal was killed uh, for for food, every, as much of the animal was used as possible. Uh, whether it's the oh, yeah. blood, the, the the nothing was thrown away. You, you, we eat the innards. Yeah. We eat everything because. Uh, that 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 life that life isn't just supposed to go for nothing, isn't it? True, true. Actually, if you look at um, you know uh, the Mombe, uh, it's Mushaya Chiraswa, which means nothing goes to waste. Everything must actually be utilized. Just you know, like you say. Yeah. So. Um, when we look at uh, when we look at that, uh, I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, it's going it's, it's going to take a lot of effort. But and I think I'm hoping that those who have been able to take to listen to this conversation, to take part in this conversation, uh, will take will find a lot of nuggets. I certainly found a lot of nuggets. Uh, from our discussion uh, and me, the big takeaways are, for example, uh, the association of names with uh, and and uh, and identity with our closeness to the environment. Uh, the, the the certainly storytelling is a device. I'm a storyteller. The Kangano for me, have been a great device. I mean, even the way I write fiction, it should have been like, what lesson is there? Uh, but now it's now being deliberate. Like you said, when the storytellers, when the wagons were coming in the 1890s, uh, th that was the, that was uh, creating novelization. 
from 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 circumstances so people could see themselves um, uh, in themselves. I, I guess going forward, Chirere, Chirere, Chigo, 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 That is the big one. That I think when we're developing content, like you said right at the beginning, Kuti, a lot of this content that we did, we will have to build is for young children, so that the future mm. that they build. Would be a feature. Of course, in this instance, it would say, "Could he person can take care of you later." But taking care of you is also a legacy going forward, isn't it? Like, what do we Absolutely. leave for? Absolutely. 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 You know, you yeah, I like the way you have just you know because then you also have kukura kurerwa, mm. you know, which is linked to chirerechi mm. kukurerao, um, because. Yeah, for us to enjoy what we enjoyed and, uh, you know, what we have, it means somebody somewhere also deliberately and intentionally, you know, put, you know, uh, or did something. This is where the, the, the action actually um, should be, which is what I was saying, Larry. We need, you know, to, pro- to probably, you know, challenge uh, people, you know, so that there's action um, instead of, you know, just talking. Okay. So before we go, um, just plug yourself. I know you say you got stuff on YouTube. I saw you gave a presentation on TikTok the other day. Is there anything else that you can tell us what you're working on, where people can find what you're up to? I know you're very active on Twitter these days. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> where, uh, what are you, where can people find what you're up to? Um, Twitter remains um, the best, um, and my handle is at Ignatius uh, Mabasa. Um, uh, and I'm actually trying right now uh, to put together. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, put together a small booklet uh, on native um, Shona wisdom, just to explain a few things here and there. Um, you know, the, and, and actually I'm reminded one of the things that I'm going to be explaining, which I tweeted, uh, which is relevant to what we've been talking about, is you, you find, Larry, people saying uh, the month of November is a sacred month, uh, according to the Shona people. No, it's not sacred. Why do they say it is a sacred month? The reason or the logic behind is the rains who have started falling, it's the rainy season, it's time for people to go to the fields and be productive. So you certainly wouldn't want somebody to, you know, then start coming up with other agendas or, you know, to tell you, oh, I have a party or I want to get married or you. So it's a way of our people, you know, being organized, showing, you know, that, look, we also value time. We are also, you know, good at planning. And yeah, <laughs> so uh, very interesting in terms of, you know, a lot of things that we can, we can learn from uh, our native uh, wisdom. Excellent. Uh, Dr. Mabasa, it's been such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Larry. Oh, I feel so, I feel so pleasurably drowned in a well of knowledge. Uh, the gentle undulation of my ribs as that was happening. I, I was so excited. I, this conversation has just 
given me so much richness. Even as I listened to it over and over again while editing it and, you know, trying to get the nuances and get my floundering self out of the conversation as much as possible, I, I was, like, amazed. And I'm hoping that there were nuggets in there that can help you understand why our ancestors did what they did. They weren't just mucking around, raising pandas. No, we don't have pandas. Whatever version of pandas we have in here. They actually had ideas, and great ideas at that. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much to African Crossroads for making this episode possible. Uh, my name is Larry Quiddedai. See you on the next episode.